Dr. Alan Leica here, and I'd like to welcome you to How to Live a Fantastic Life Show, where we will be discussing the important aspects of your life. We hope to inspire you to live the best life you can. Get out of your comfort zone and explore the awesome world around you. Break through your barriers. Take inspired action. Use the difficulties in your life to achieve the best version of you. Today we have Melissa Rucksack. Back in her 20s, Melissa had everything figured out. She had a career path and the schooling to proceed with her choice. But life has a funny way of changing even the best plan. So at 28, a medical emergency, Melissa was left with nothing and had to live off the system or learn what she could still achieve on her own. Now, I'm going to go back to those days, Melissa, because I want our audience to understand what happened to you. I know what happened, but could you please tell the audience what happened when you were 28? I had, okay, this is crazy. I started getting sick in the fall of 2010. Couldn't figure out what I was sick with. I just knew I was sick. By April of 2011, I was 90 pounds could barely walk, couldn't keep food down, in and out of the hospital, couldn't find anything wrong with me. If you know doctors, they are, they love running tests. Oh, I know that too well. When I was diagnosed with ALS, I had every test known to man, including tests that, they, that didn't even exist yet. Docs are test crazy. They are. They run every test imaginable until they find an answer, even if they can't find an answer. Well, the stump, the problem was I wasn't getting food, so I've seen a lot of gastrointestinal doctors. So they're like, we can't find anything wrong with you. So let's do a brain scan. Just we're running out of tests to do, basically. So what they found is it's called an AVM. Similarity to it is a aneurysm. But what it actually is is a massive blood vessels that have no capillaries. So you go from vein to artery, but mine was the size of the circumference of a golf ball. Oh my God. And it was leaking. Yes, of course. So now we have a that is known as a that is known as a Barry aneurysm. Isn't that hilarious? Here, here you're talking to Barry, uh, my first name, and (laughs) here we're talking about a Barry aneurysm. There we go. So that's funny, right? So we do a medical emergency. I get life flighted from one hospital to another. And the surgeon looks at me. Oh, this is an emergency. I'll take care of it in two weeks when I come back from vacation. And guess what? It blew. Three days later, I have a stroke. Yes, yes. Is it, isn't that a bad thing that happened, you know? Yeah. And I'm so sorry that happened, but we can't go back, can we? No, we can't go back, but I'm thankful. And here's why. That stroke put me in a state of mind that I can't go back to what I used to do. So we go through the surgery, do the craniotomy, and I have another stroke during surgery. Oh, my God. So I lose half my vision. I lose the entire right side of my body. Now, you see today, I'm pretty good, right? Yes. So um, I'm speaking in Romanian. I'm no longer speaking English. And did you speak Romanian before? 
Mm -mm. I have what's called foreign accent syndrome. When I get really tired or stressed, I'll go back to Romanian. I've never met a person in Romanian until after my surgery. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that, it, that just shows what the late no cultivar brain really has in it for those who mm-hmm. really want to explore, because there really is more there than meets the eye. Yes, it is. But I'm very thankful for that journey because during the 2011, when I'm going through recovery, and this is a fall, so into 2012, 2013, and up till today, I'm thankful because being home, and not being able to talk to people, I have a keyboard. I can type in English. So I went back to the creative route. 2015, 2016, I published my first book. Congratulations. You know, that is one of the hardest things. You know, they say that it's not tough to write. All you have to do is slit your wrists and bleed. Isn't that about right? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) I mean, you write the book. Then you go through the tedious editing process. And I think that the editing process is the hardest thing in the world. My first editor was like a teacher, Mark. She had to write everything with a red pen, make me feel like I was an idiot before she got the right words out. My second author, my second editor, Robert Buckland, was a gem. He made my words dance without me having to do that tedious process. What was your editor like? Well, my first book was edited by my then 13-year-old daughter, who's a little grammar Nazi and a uh, spelling yes. Nazi. Like the soup Nazi. Yeah. See, uh, my daughter's autistic. So education-wise, she's like 30. Yes. So letting her take my book. And destroy and, it. And, and, and destroy, destroy it, it. And bring it back to where it's supposed to be. Yes. So and, somebody just, you, and somebody you couldn't yell at because she's your daughter. Exactly. So I let her do it, and it came out really good. There's a lot, and she didn't like what I did because the first couple books, because it's not just being an author and writing, it's growth through um, storytelling. So I'm in this but trauma. This is the thing about authoring is that you grow through your authoring process. Mm-hmm. Really, it's the clearest, easiest way to grow through a process because you're working through variables that you never finished when you were actually living them. Right. So I took misspellings, misgivings, mispronunciations, bad grammar. I put that all in the first book. So here I am in chaos in my life so i'm in chaos in my book yes i understand so there's chaos the first book's about chaos what's your second book about the Se- second book these are all fantasy books by the way okay so the second book is actually the prequel it um to the first book and then there's six books in between them wow wow <laughs> so if you think star wars that's how the storyline goes Yes, yes, yes. Now, did you grow through those books? I have. And where are you now? Right now, I have three editors working on one book. So we're doing 10 rounds of edits all together. Yes. In as tedious as I'll get out. (laughs) And and you're still sane after all that? I don't know if I say in the start. (laughs) You know, I've always found it interesting how an editor can start and then 
they're changing it back the way it was at the beginning when they've started. I, I've had that process go on, that mm-hmm. they've re-edited, re-edited all the way back full circle to where it was before. Yes. Yeah. So it, it's an interesting process, the editing process. But if it's a good editor, they make you better. They don't yes. make you feel like you're two inches tall. They don't be berate you. It's not the Socratic method, but rather a method where you grow. And I found that really best, the best approach. I mean, we have to grow as people. We have to grow as authors. We have to grow as a society. So even when in the book world, if you have a good person, a mentor, an editor that can help you grow, then everyone's doing their job. Now, I also know some other things about you, and I also know that you went through a very debilitating relationship. Tell us about that and how that hurt you and how it helped you. (sighs) Okay, the first book would not be written if it wasn't for my ex-husband. He's the one that challenged me, and I look at it now as it was a challenge to be accepted. So I have 17 books out now, thanks to him challenge me for the first. Right. Now, now, he was a psychopath, was he not? Politely, yes. Okay. Um, he, <laughs> okay. We, we'll go what, with what, that. What, what, what would you call it? Uh, a very disturbed individual. Okay. Okay, I understand. So it was a lot of, I can, he can do no wrong, but everything is my fault. Food yeah. is not correct. Cleaning the house isn't correct. Laying out of his laundry isn't correct. Washing the laundry, whatever it was, wasn't correct. So there's a bunch of screaming, bunch of yelling. And there's videos on YouTube about this. Actually he recorded some of the incidences for his doctors because they wanted to see what, I was trying to work with his doctors. Wow. That, that's scary how something like that could come about and how, how that could be. But, you know, you weren't destroyed by that, but you used that as a growth step. How did, did. you do that? How did you do that? I think what it is is a mechanism I was born with or raised with, at least. I went for through a very traumatic childhood up until the age of four, five, somewhere through their kindergarten age. And my mother was in a domestic violence relationship and that transferred over to me as a small child. And then you go to school and you're bullied in school because you're quiet, you're shy, you're scared of your own shadow when you live through the hell that I started with. Right. So going to this ex-husband, I was like, no, I'm not a victim. I'm not playing this game. No so more. What, where was the drawing line? Where did you draw the line in the sand that you couldn't live in this relationship? Anymore? When he choked me. Yeah. And, and physical violence is one of the worst. Uh, and choking is one of the worst because mm-hmm. it doesn't show any scars. And, and that is, is, is a tough one because you hear you're beaten, but you don't show any scars for it. So no, you, you don't. Know, so here they're thinking you're a liar, your friends, your family. Actually, my daughter was on the phone with 911. The police were there within minutes and they had pictures of the red marks on my throat. Wow. So they were there within minutes. I, I really that. am thankful for the police officers. Well, you might not be here if it wasn't for them at that point, because obviously 
this person was out of control and and you were the victim of this mm-hmm. abusive relationship. No, we go into the divorce. Which is another, which was another terrible experience. It was. It took almost two years to get the divorce. And here's why. He wanted royalties from my books that I wrote under my pen name. Half of my company that I started when we were separated, that wasn't even making 50 cents at the time. All future royalties. uh, Money for me using the last name. And I had to go to the extreme of taking all the videos because he was saying I was poisoning him. I was abusing him. I'm a little thing. I can't abuse anyone. I'm mentally abusing him. So I took all the videos and I shipped them off to the um, acting VA secretary. I was like, look, I need help with my divorce. I'm not asking for anything. I just want the divorce to be finalized and it took the VA actually getting involved to help me get my divorce. Understandable. Now let's, let's turn the tables. Now I want to turn over to where you are now and what's Mm -hmm. going right in your life now, because I think that's very important. Yes. What is different now versus then? I have happiness and I found that in myself before I went anywhere else. I'm very thankful. I have a lot of mentors in self-help, coaching, um, mental mindset. So they help me find my happiness inside. Yeah. Okay. My wife's just wanting to do garbage patrols, so I'm waving her off as we're <laughs> doing this interview. So. <laughs> Tuesday, Tuesday is garbage day at our house. Oh, and then, okay. That's, and then that's our Sunday. <laughs> yeah, Wednesday, it's got to be at the curb tonight for the garbage bed to pick up mm-hmm. tomorrow. So I apologize for that. I, no I, gave you a, I gave you a look that you couldn't imagine. So it was a no side to her for now. <laughs> so, okay, go on, please. So we found happiness. I had a company when I was getting divorced. We actually closed the company down. It was... A lot of little companies in one company and nothing was working. So working with a mentor, we took my company. We have the main company and we have the publishing house. And we're just focusing on one section of the company at a time. Well, that's smart because it's too much of a cacophony. Otherwise, there's just too much going on. And really, you can't do everything all at once, even though you're a brilliant multitasker at doing Mm -hmm. things. I, I think that would be a very, very hard thing to concentrate on too many things at once. Because when you concentrate on too many things, you don't do each one well. You do them adequately. But here you want to do everything perfectly. Right. So we have this terrific business plan and we've been working with them to invest in the company to take it from a smaller traditional publishing, which only has 10 authors, to a complete publishing house with editors. I'm going to need to talk to you about that in, in the future, just offline, because I'm doing a similar thing. My book is like Chicken Soup for the Soul, mm-hmm. and I want to bring multiple authors which, of course, is going to cause its own set of problems. So I'll need to talk to you about that to get some guidance. Okay, we can okay. do that. Thanks. So you're doing this thing uh, where you're having multiple authors writing multiple things all at once. Is that not mm-hmm. right? 
That's, a, that's right. I am a traditional publisher. So we do have worldwide distribution. We have Walmart carries most of our books. Target's carrying them. I, I mean, it's all over the place. It's not wow. just Amazon or Katie. Wow. wow, that's good. That's good. And the number one publisher in the world is? Uh, Walmart. Walmart, believe Walmart. it or not. Walmart is the biggest publisher in the world. Bookseller. Yeah, not bookseller, publisher. not publisher, but bookseller. You corrected me correctly. Yes. Uh, yes, biggest bookseller in the world is Walmart. Yes, so having a, your books in Walmart is a key to any author. Yes, for sure. And I'll have to talk to you about that as well. Good. Of course, so got we have a lot, a lot of things to talk about. We do, obviously. Now let's go on. So we have who that is, going on. Who is Melinda Rucksack in 2021? I am a CEO of my own company. I no longer answer the phone taking calls and taking meetings. I now have people who do that for me. Yes. They schedule it. And then if it's a call I need to be on, I jump on the call. We have it all scheduled out. And my right arm is terrific at keeping me on task. And we're slowly scaling the business to have our offices open in Reno. And I'm going to say there's something that's even more remarkable of you. And this is this. You're commander of your success. You're the pilot of your ship. You're the person that drives it. You're not driven anymore. Sure, every day there's forces that drive us out of control. We can't control those. But you are piloting the ship where you want it to go. Yes. Where do you want your ship to go in 2022 and 2023 and 2024? I want my three offices open, my th- three main. And where offices. are they going to be? Um, headquartered in Reno with my factory, which will be in-house printing for my my own publishing company, but other printing for others as well. Okay. And then we have the office in New York, which yes. will be in Manhattan. Which is a craziness all onto its own. <laughs> my my wonderful investor friend who's helping me with this business plan, he's like, you have to have an office in New York. If you're in publishing, you must be in New York. There's no way about it. Yeah. And, and do you have an international office anywhere else? We will have one, I believe, in London. Okay. London or Paris are the other two that are essential for this. Mm-hmm. And then probably one in the South Pacific, if you really want to get at the avant-garde. Because they're a little ahead. We're negotiating for Dubai. Okay. That makes sense because Dubai is certainly a world unto its own. Mm-hmm. Only yes. problem is they don't like women there. If you stay in Dubai itself, it's okay. If you go outside, then you get into problems. I remember once when my wife and I went to Cairo and we were staying at the Grand Hotel there. And my wife is the most organized person on the planet with everything there. And she said, well, I'll come up and sign. And the, the tour guide said, dear, I'm sorry, your husband has to sign. We don't let women sign in Cairo. She went, my wife's French Canadian and she said, Dear, we're never going back to Cairo again. <laughs> See, I, I used to have these grand visions of visiting Cairo because I'm, I love Egyptian history. I want to see the pyramid. I want to explore the area. But the culture in the area, 
is so unwelcoming. Well, it is. I mean, having women wearing burkas with just her eyes showing is something that's horrendous. Yeah. So unfortunately, I don't think I'll ever see the pyramids. Well, I'm going to turn tables one more time because we're Mm -hmm. getting close to the end here, Melinda. What would you tell a person that was going through an abusive relationship right now? What should they immediately do? Don't wait to get help. Leave. It doesn't matter if you go into a women's shelter, go to a police station, go to a friend's house. Leave. Don't stay. I made the mistake for seven years of staying because I was in the mindset of it's my fault. No, honey, it's not your fault. They have something wrong with their mindset that they have to change. And what would you tell a person who's recovering from a stroke right now? What could you tell them to get out of their funk and drive themselves to the next levels? We are the masters of ourselves. Our brain, I was in wheelchair. I was in barely able to walk, barely able to speak. And my mindset was, no, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I'm going to get back to where I want to meet. It, it was Epictetus that said way back 2000 BC, BC when he was a slave. It's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens. Mm-hmm. You have to take each minute to survive. If you say, I'm going to write this book, you're going to write this book. And the hardest thing about writing a book is putting your feet at the, on the on a chair on on a chair and just listening to it and literally uh, doing what you need to do and, and putting your seat right on that chair and literally writing every day. Yes. Isn't that right? Yes. Whatever you're doing, if it's writing the book, if it's leaving an abusive relationship, if it's changing your entire mindset to be happy, you have to actually feel it in your body you have to make up your mind to do it and and that's what i think meditation is all about meditation is making your mind go blank and then Mm -hmm. believing you can do something that you cannot do right manifest the life you want yeah i think that's key melinda how can people get in touch with you if they'd like to if you just google my name m.l.rus C-S-A-K, you'll find me everywhere. You will find my podcast. You will find my company. You will find everything out about me under the sun. Perfect. Okay, Melinda. Well, thank you for being our guest today. Thank you for being such a perfect person for us today. And thank you for getting out of your bed to help us today and help the world become a better place. Oh, I love talking to you, Dr. Laika. Thank you so much for having me. We'll schedule another time soon. Sounds wonderful. Bye for now. Have a fantastic day. And you as well. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Laika's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. Have a fantastic day. Fantastic.